0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met right after college. Yeah, and our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing
0: women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then it did,
1: and we found the right guys and
0: stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other, so we went from producers to reproducers. We make it
1: look easy, we make it look good. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents.
0: We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. Apparently, Anne, something that was supposed to connect us with and enrich our lives mm-hmm. might actually be breaking us apart and making our kids more lonely and depressed. More lonely and depressed, okay. Yes, more. In May, the Journal of the American Medical Association published a report looking at suicide rates amongst tweens and teens from 1975 to 2016. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Boys traditionally, as we've talked about in the past, have had higher suicide rates than girls. But now the gap is narrowing, Mm -hmm. according to this report. So much so that the journal included an editorial calling the role of social media among adolescents an urgent public health issue that merits further investigation. Right. So when we talked
0: about doing this, I did some research too, and a 2017 study published by the Association for Psychological Science looked at more than half a million eighth through 12th graders, and it found the number exhibiting high levels of depressive symptoms increased by 33% Wow. between 2010 and 2015. In five years? Yeah, 33%. And in the same period, the suicide rate for girls in that age group... Increased by 65%. Almost double. Yeah, boys. It's ridiculous. Wow. Does
1: this surprise you?
0: No, I mean, like, <laughs> let's look at our own homes, right? You know, we've talked about this before. You know, when we were growing up, we didn't know what we were missing, right? But right. now our kids can, e- even if it's just texting, our kids have text groups where people are together and they're yeah. not there. Um, add to that, you know, if you've got Instagram or if you've got Snapchat or whatever, you have that fear of missing out fomo, right? yeah, it's a real deal, yeah. so you you see and it might be innocent, like you know, like two friends are together, and you check and they they're at Great America or Six Flags, right, and you're like, why am I not there? Right? You know, um, our kids are constantly being reminded of what they're not doing, yeah,
1: or see such happy things, like like, Oh, that looks, they're having so much fun and I don't, I don't do those fun things and stuff like that. I mean, even as adults, do you watch like on Facebook and you see when people post when they're going out? I mean, I'll be honest. There's been times where I was like, Oh, I didn't know they went to that show or whatever.
0: Right, right. And in fact, recently we had a, a friend, we had a surprise birthday party for a friend and um, it was at Ravinia and the wife did a very good job of hiding it, but they got out of their Uber and their neighbors were there and the the guy, T R is his name, and he was like, Well, why didn't they tell us they were coming? They know I like this band. He totally thought that
1: they were going out without him. You right. know, so. And we're mature adults, or I like to think I am. Yes, <laughs> so like we try. Right. So we're it's developmentally like we can handle that sort of stuff. A 10, 12 year old can, I don't think, can. Nope. So I find it, I think it's so ironic that all these things that were supposed to make life better and, and connecting us might actually be tearing us apart inside. And it's kind of sad. And I think this is actually the right use of the word ironic. Because so often people say ironic and say
0: the wrong one, like right. Alanis Morissette. Yeah. 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 Flies and Chardonnay. That's yeah. It's not ironic. It's no, a bummer.
1: Not, yeah. not. But in this case, I really, I feel like it, um, all these different apps, it's just mind boggling all the things that our kids have. So to talk about this, we're bringing in Dr. Anna Radovic, a, an assistant professor of pediatrics at UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. So she does research in mental health services. And we thought to bring her in. Good morning, doctor. Thanks, Anna. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, after the study came out, one doctor, um, as part of like reading in the the research and the story that came out, said that social media isn't really the problem for these kids and they had pre-existing conditions before they even started using the apps. Do you agree with that or do you think you could start be totally healthy and normal and start using these apps and then develop, you know, depression? Yeah,
2: so that's an excellent question. And I think one of the things that happens when these headlines come out are that it's very shocking. And um, I think people naturally want to figure out what is going on. But the thing is that depression and anxiety and and suicidality are complex issues. And so it is really tough to point a finger at one thing that is causing it. Um, So I see patients in an adolescent medicine and young adult clinic, and we work together as a team with with social work, and uh, we see patients who come in, all types of patients who come in with depression symptoms, and everybody's story is unique. Um, So I think about it that way, that, okay, as a group, there's something going on, but also um, everybody has multiple factors at play. Um, so the types of research that we're doing right now on social media and depression is becoming uh, more and more complex to meet the complexity of the problem. So the first studies that were done were just looking at, you know, at one point in time are people who are more depressed using social media more is social media leading us to become more connected or to become more isolated. But now the studies that are coming out are looking at more what are we doing on social media um did we have depression before, or did it get worse with social media? How are people who are depressed versus people who are not using it differently? Um, and what is everything else going on in their lives? So, just like anything in, in medicine and in health, uh, it's really complicated, and there's you know an individual level that we have to to think about these kinds of issues. Um, but there was one interesting study done in Europe where they were looking at adolescents and whether or not they had depression at first um, or not, and people who were depressed but didn't really have much outside social support, and then they went online and they had a negative experience, like they were bullied. They were more likely to be more depressed. But those people who started off with actually having good outside social support, and then went online and had a negative experience. They didn't experience the depression as an outcome, and this was looking at two time points. Um, So it really makes me wonder about whether or not some people who are depressed um, and feeling isolated are kind of going online and looking for support, but then when they go online, they're putting things that are negative, which is more likely to make people not want to talk to you, actually. So uh-huh. there's some interesting studies looking at, you know, if I go online and and you and you kind of think about this with your own online experience, like if there's somebody who's always positive and then all of a sudden they put something negative, they get a lot of attention. Yeah, right. But if there's someone who's posting negatively all of the time and, you know, nobody really wants to respond to that anymore. Yeah. It's Debbie Downer. Yeah. Yeah, but then when they put something positive, they actually get a lot of attention because they're just like, wow, they put something positive. Now, we know like some of these um, cyberbullying experiences can sometimes be, feel like they are worse than real life bullying in some ways because they can be like permanent, they can be shared. Um, and so public, think, public, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I think we're living in a different time right now, and our kids are growing up in a different time. Some things that are happening are exactly the same as they were before, but they're on a different level and, like, a different stage, and we we don't necessarily have the skills or, like, the knowledge of how to cope with them or how to teach our kids to go online. Um, And it's interesting, so there's, there's some research looking at parents, too, And so I think right now there's kind of this like digital disconnect with uh, some of the the later generations, like the college age generation and their parents. But I think we're going to see some changes happen with parents now whose kids are getting older, who actually, you know, did have Internet when they were younger and are kind of more comfortable with with going online and, and social media. Because uh, a lot of the teens, they, you know, their parents really have no clue or understanding, right, <laughs> of that kind of an environment at all for them. So, I, I think we don't really have like the skills or the, the knowledge to to support teens where they're at, and hopefully, we can improve on on teaching them about digital literacy and learning from them, too, about what works and what doesn't work.
0: Yeah, we used to call it digital natives versus digital immigrants. And, you know, um, I think our generation, Gen X, is kind of digital immigrants. And then the millennials are more natives. And certainly our kids are total natives. Yeah. So but as the millennials have children, maybe they'll be more uh, savvy as to what's out there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's totally true. I'm, uh, my
2: kids are four and seven. And so it's a lot different for us because, you know, the grandparents are very sometimes uncomfortable with the, the media and it feels kind of black and white for them. Like, oh, well, either they're like on it all the time or they're, they shouldn't be on it at all. And for us, it's more nuanced. Like, well, Okay, it's different if they're on their iPad doing something educational, and we're, you know, it's different if we're um, watching a movie together and talking about it, and then it's different if they're just on their iPad and we don't know what they're doing
1: on it. Right, mindlessly and surfing, th- and yeah,
2: right. And so it's it's harder. The challenge with teens is that it's developmentally normal for them to try to become independent, mm-hmm. and they want to spend more time with their peers. And like you were saying earlier about how, you know, we also care about what our friends are doing online as adults, but for kids, it's super important. It's kind of like life or death important what your friends are doing. It does. And that's actually normal because you want, if you think about it, you want a young person to become independent and be able to interact with other people that are not their family. And so it's actually like something that their brains are craving for are this kind of they feel a lot of reward if like their friends think something is great or they have these like social interactions with their friends. So you can think about like social media being really stimulating. And in some ways, there's some, you know, benefits to it. So for example, if you are a rural kid and you're really great at art, but you don't really have, you know, galleries or museums to go to, well, now you can put your artwork online and get feedback about it or get, put your music online and get feedback about it. And you can, you know, have more opportunities for social networking, you know, as our communities are becoming more um, centralized and like, urban environments and it's harder for kids who are living in in rural communities, for example, or maybe they uh, are LGBTQ and they don't have any support in their community and now they can reach out and find people who are um, supportive and affirming. But then on the other hand, you know, you can get into these negative scenarios as well. So like you might put out there that you are part of LGBTQ community, you might find support on one hand, and then you might find people who are bullying you on the other hand. So I think that we need some safe spaces online for kids. Like, just like, you know, we know it's normal for them to interact with peers. You know, we know it's good for them to be involved in sports or, you know, to be able to hang out somewhere together, but maybe there's there are adults available. Um, we wouldn't just send them out into some, like, field and give them a bunch of alcohol and let them do what they want to do. Right, right. And so there's not, like, a lot of safe, moderated spaces for, for teens. So it's it's almost like that. Like, you're just sending them out there and, you know, do what you want. Wild, wild, wild west. The overseeing. Yeah. But I think what's the need is, like, for example... Instagram was trialing out some ways in Canada to change likes so that not, and I'm not getting this exactly right, but they're basically um, trying out different ways of showing people that, so there's these things called social affordances, which is basically like a mark that somebody was there. You go on a website and you either know that nobody was there, or you can see, like, what people were doing on that site. Like They were commenting. They were liking certain things. Um, and so can you make Instagram so that likes are not, like, the most important thing that is going on? Um, because so because that's what kids... You only see your likes, but not everyone else does. Right.
1: That's right. what kids love. Like, I can see how they would post something, and if only, like, two people liked it, they, they pay attention to that stuff. Sure.
2: The thing is, um, you'll look at the one of, like, the major um, research engines that looks at this is Pew mm-hmm. uh, Internet Surveys, and it's neat because they've done also some qualitative interviews with teens, and then teens that have been on some of the uh, panels I've been on, they kind of talk about it as like a job that they have to maintain their social media. So, you know, if something is not getting a lot of likes, well, they better take it down right away because that's completely embarrassing. And then, um, you know, if they go on and the first thing they have to do is like all of their friends stuff, because that's what you do when you're a friend. So it's not even like an enjoyable thing. It's like a, a, a management thing. It's, Kind of thing about email, you know, it used to be fun, you know, well, now I go on my Gmail and like, make sure I don't have a bill first, you know, a right. lot of management there before I would get to like anything that I thought was interesting. And it's kind of like social media is like that for them. And so um, it's it's tough because I don't think we have a lot of say in what different, social media companies are going to do and what drives them. But I think as, as we kind of make our consumer voices heard um, as parents make their voices heard, like we don't like how, you know, this is is doing this and we don't want to use this, this type of tool. If you know, it has, has these properties. So I think that um, some of these companies are going to have to think about those types of things more. and, And there's evidence that they are, um, but it might take some time for us to figure out what's going on. It's kind of like it came on like this wave, and now we're kind of catching up.
0: <laughs> so, Anna, it, is there a conversation we should have with our children around that in that, you know, I hadn't even thought about it, but, you know, my daughter will... We get somewhere, she has to take a picture, she has to post it. You know, uh, it, it is almost a requirement. Is there a way we should broach that and say, you know, it's not your job. It's supposed to be fun. Live in
1: the moment right now with us. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think that the key thing is there are things that adults that we took for granted that now I think, young people actually have to learn as skills. So things like, you know, enjoying things in the moment without having to take pictures of everything and, and, you know, think about your image management, like let me get my best selfie at this spot. It was interesting. I heard recently there was a a Windows background of a really nice picture from nature. And then now that place is kind of overpopulated with people taking selfies because <laughs> oh. they think it's like so amazing. So it's it's interesting, um, kind of, we have to be like more cognizant about teaching those types of skills to young people. And one thing that's really um, important and has had more evidence in terms of increasing um, stress and anxiety is multitasking, which is actually a misnomer because it's really difficult to media multitask. Um, So it's more of like task switching. So thinking about if there's a teen who is working on their homework and they're doing something on their computer and they have their smartphone available to them and what they're doing on their homework is kind of stressful and difficult. And so you know, they kind of go to their phone to take a break or see what's going on on social media or text or whatever, and it's actually a coping mechanism for them because whatever they're doing that's stressful, you know, their cortisol's going up, they feel like anxious about it, and then this kind of it's kind of like having like a a bowl of M and M's, and then you just like oh, let me just have this like quick reward and this little dopamine rush. From the phone, but then what happens is that you don't get better at focusing on the task ahead. It gets worse and worse, and you don't actually get it done. And it would actually be better and and less stressful and anxiety provoking if you know, let's say you're doing that homework plus all the little social media and online interruptions for an hour. If instead you divided that half hour that all you're doing is focusing on that assignment and then another 30 minutes where all you're doing is your social media and online stuff. So people have to learn kind of some of these skills and understand that the multitasking or task switching actually increases anxiety and makes it harder to focus and gives you kind of some of those uh, attention um, symptoms that you're not able to focus on what, what you're doing, and has been associated with uh, worse academic performance.
1: So, as parents, would it be better? Would you? Sorry to interrupt. Would it be better as parents to say, "Go, you know, go do your homework and leave your phone on the kitchen counter"? Yeah,
2: it would. And the thing <laughs> is, sometimes <laughs> have you heard of this uh, Pomodoro timer?
1: No, no. What's that? Yeah, so it's a really cool
2: method, especially for people, but now for, for anyone, because the world is so distracting with all the technology, where you basically set a timer, and you say, okay, for the next 20 or 30 minutes, all I'm going to do is this one task that I, you know, working on this essay for school or whatever it is, and then I have a notepad next to me, and anything that flies in my head that I think that I have to do instead of doing this essay, I just write on this piece of paper, like, oh, I better, you know, like my friend's picture. I forgot to do that. You know, whatever all the little social media tasks are. And then when your timer is up, you can feel free to go and, and do all those things and have like a 10 or 15-minute break or whatever that is. Um, so that is kind of one technique to prevent some of the <laughs> constant task switching and not getting things done.
0: Okay. That's a great idea. And I I think I do that personally when I have to focus on a project, I will shut down all my other windows so that I'm not distracted by On your
1: computer, really? Yeah. You
0: close all the tabs? Yeah, because
1: I am too easily distracted. So My husband has like forty I didn't even know it's possible to have that many tabs open on your computer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so on a... it's
2: one thing that that's neat about you mentioning that is that one key thing we can do as adults is role model some of these digital literacy skills. Um, And one thing that teens really love is being experts in something because they're trying to you know show that they're capable of doing things on their own, and it can be really annoying to feel lectured to. And typically, they're just going to turn off and not listen. Um, but if you ask them, like, "Hey, I want to set up my Instagram account, or you know, I want to figure out how to do this online, or whatever, can you teach me how to do this?" or um, You know, sometimes talking about other things that are going on in the media, like, oh, what do you think about, um, you know, this that happened to someone or um, look at your friend's account on Instagram? What do you think about these pictures she's posting? If it's something kind of making them the expert and taking the focus off them in particular, sometimes you can have those same important conversations and get to the same point as
0: you would if you were kind of lecturing
1: them. Pointing the finger at them, exactly. Well, it's like watching a TV
0: show together. The TV show might be a little advanced, but if you're there to talk about it and to talk through it, then it's a learning experience together, and and it's not a bad thing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So thinking about that, uh, I don't know if you've talked about 13 Reasons Why on your show before, but there's some recent studies showing that since, 13 Reasons Why Came Out, There's Been an Increase in Suicide, and there's some time relationship with when it came out and an increase that doesn't seem to make sense for other reasons. So it's really important to, um, there's something called suicide contagion, where if you're kind of talking about suicide in a graphic way or, you know, um, not talking about other resources that exist, um, then that can be harmful for teens who are considering suicide. So there's a, um, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, and a lot of other organizations work together to come up with the 13 Reasons Why toolkit, and there's definitely some uh, good resources for parents out there. That's,
0: but, that's really good to know, because I, I don't think yeah. my kids have seen it unless they're doing it without me, um, but yeah. I did not want them to look at it because I thought it was pretty dark and I didn't watch it. it, I didn't see it. Oh, I watched it. It's
1: disturbing, you know. Um, Yeah. We can take those links from you um, and and post those because that would probably be a good resource as well. Sure. So uh, uh, here's a question.
0: Do you think the pendulum might be swinging in the other direction with social media? I know a number of young adults who have pretty much, they're stepping away from Snapchat. They're like, ah, that's over. They're still doing a lot of Instagram, um, and I don't know what's coming next. But do you think that there will be, it'll be a saturated market or that kids will finally decide that they don't need to be public about everything?
2: Yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, So I did interviews with teens who have depression and suicidality about their social media use and a lot of them reflected back on when they were a younger teen how they used it in more risky and irresponsible ways and then felt like they had negative consequences from that and then when they were older they made some decisions to cut back, like you're saying, like totally, you know, cut off certain social media, or only use it for private messages, or become part of more kind of specific communities that they they liked and felt supported in, instead of just using it kind of globally overall. Um, so I think there's some kind of You know, and and then the types of social media that kids use have been changing because now more adults are on things like Facebook and they don't really want to be there anymore versus when it was kind of changing from college age and allowing high school kids and adults weren't there. It was really popular. Um, So I think that there's always going to be something new and exciting for to capture younger teens attention and it's probably going to change over time. But the whole kind of concept of them being able to connect with other young people somewhere online and interact together, I think is exciting and, and fun for them. Um, and, you know, YouTube is really still very popular yes. for them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's normal for people to change what they want to use over time, especially from, like becoming developmentally from being younger teens to to young adults, um, but I don't know what will change, What will happen over time?
0: Sure. Um, yeah, can, can you talk a little bit about the evidence um, regarding uh, mobile devices, phones, or whatever, uh, with mental health and sleep? You know, we, we've we talked before on the show about um, not letting kids have phones in their bedrooms. Yeah, my
1: kids do not. I'm not. They're not allowed to have their phones yeah, in their rooms. Yeah, me
0: too. So um, and but we're in a uh, parenting tech group on Facebook where the people are like, well, but they listen to music or they that's their alarm. Get a sound machine. Yeah. Or, or get an alarm <laughs> clock. Yeah. So what's what do you know yeah. about that?
2: yeah I mean it's very tough like you think about yourself as an adult with the phone um, and using it as like an alarm or things like that it's it's hard not to be distracted by other things and you have to be pretty purposeful about setting your you know distractions but you know for example I'm afraid well I get some, sometimes I'm on call and that's like my, my pager is my phone or you know what if something is going on with one of my parents and I need to come help them you know so you feel like it's hard for an adult, but for teens, it's more of like, well, am I going to... The whole fear of missing out thing, like, am I going to miss out something happening with my friends? And the more fun and exciting things are happening late at night with your friends. So you really are sometimes missing out on some of those things if you're not part of a group chat that's that's happening. Well, then, yeah, you weren't there. You're not in on the joke. And it can be kind of... It's It's important for us to, like, think about, okay, well, this is really serious for them in terms of missing out on, on pure things, um, in, in their minds, but definitely, um, it can distract them from their sleep and it's not good for them to be waking up multiple times at night. So, um, it is definitely better for them to not have their phones in their room or kind of put their phone to bed. Like (laughs) there's a cute, um, little uh, jeans pocket I saw people make, like, next to the outlet. It's like, oh, my phone is going to bed inside of its little little pajama, and then I'm going to bed, too, um, because the best thing for kids is to – be trying to have as much routine with their sleep as they can, like going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. What's really difficult for them is that their brains are naturally programmed to want to go to bed later, but a lot of schools are having early start times for teens, and there's more and more evidence that uh, delaying that start time would be a lot better for their health, especially their mental health. Uh, There's a strong relationship between poor sleep and suicide. Reality in teens that is coming out. Um, so anything to be able to get them to have more of that routine and have get enough sleep, which they tend to need even more sleep than we do, is really important. And then another thing they do is kind of have like this weekend jet lag, basically, where yeah. they're in one time zone during the week and
1: another time zone <laughs> during the weekend. Right. Um, and, and that can be pretty tough for them. So in your practice, just as, um, this is an aside, but in your practice, are you noticing like, is part of the loneliness, I feel like the kids use their phone, like they, I'll be in the car driving them somewhere and they're sitting right next to each other on their phones instead of talking to each other when I'm driving them somewhere. Like, do you see that in your practice that kids don't even have face-to-face interactions anymore? Is that like, is that becoming a thing? I, I feel like that's pervasive. Yeah. That feels like something
2: going on in society. I mean, clinically, I'm not really seeing that. You know, people are not really telling me that. Um, But then another thing that's happening is kind of this hybrid where you're together on your phones and you're talking about whatever is going on on your phone to each other in real life. So it's like a... it's like a conversation starter whatever this youtube video is or did you see this or Let oh, okay. Me share this with you or whatever okay so uh, it's interesting like i think i think life is changing but i think we need to be continue to be mindful about offering those types of opportunities for um, kids to interact with each other in person and i think they're not necessarily going to come up with them on their own um, at like like they used to. So you know, maybe parents organizing things or schools organizing, like going out into nature and being like purposeful about interacting with nature, which can Im- improve mental health. I think that the, the technology is just easily available everywhere, that all the other things that benefited us in the past sometimes seem to fall, Behind and that we do less and less of those things, um, and I think we have to be kind of more purposeful about integrating them back in. But it's definitely becoming more of a thing like like a hybrid than
0: than before. Sure, right. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for how we should monitor our kids' use of social media? Um, you know, specific apps, maybe, or or just a way to start talking about it. I know that. You know, uh, we're supposed to be able to say, I can look at your phone anytime I want, I need all your passwords, I need uh to to read I need to follow you on Instagram, whatever. Um and I, I get some resistance from, from my thirteen year old. So. so
1: for real? Yeah, for real. I'd be like, no. Yeah, I know
0: it's your. It's not your right. It's your privilege, right? But she still feels like you know, like when when Tracy and I were growing up, we passed notes in school, right?
1: Yeah, my mom did not read those notes. She didn't
0: even know about them because they were at school. Yeah, but there there's a there's a line there, like
2: fortune teller notes. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) So is is there a way we should approach it that you can suggest?
2: Yeah, so I think you bring up really great points. As like a parent, you feel, like, obligated to monitor these things, but then on the other hand, you understand that their privacy is important to them. Um, and so the key thing that has evidence of improving some some of these outcomes in terms of parent monitoring is having good relationship with a teen and having good communication with them. So basically... Kind of coming at, coming at it as a as a positive, like you know I'm really proud of you for telling me about this situation going on at school when someone was getting cyberbullied. like it means a lot to me that you did that, kind of coming at, coming at it from this positive parenting angle and trying to encourage those types of behaviors. And then also role modeling to them. And then what I was talking about before about asking them for for their expertise. So when you spin it, whatever you come at them with, that's like a negative or a takeaway thing, they're going to kind of be defensive about. Mm -hmm. But if you come at it like, you know, I'm really proud of you that you've been able to not break your screen or whatever (laughs) it is, maintain your phone maintenance. And, you know, um, I would like us to have a check-in or things like that, then I think sometimes having some of those um, boundaries and and setting them in a way that makes sense to the both of you or kind of, you know, I want you to be able to have this smartphone, but I also want us to set up some kind of boundaries together about, you know, I'm worried about these types of things. What are some rules you think we can come up with? So, like, having them involved in that process instead of it feeling like lecture coming down on them. And there is... um, I'll I'll give you the link but the American Academy of Pediatrics has a website for uh, parents called Healthy Children Um, I believe. And there is a media toolkit where you can kind of go on together and come up with a plan that's kind of individualized to you and your family and for the teen's age. Um, Because we know technology is changing and that's something that they want to continue to update. So that's somewhere that you can go to kind of set those things up together. But definitely... Role modeling, you know, so for example, um, if you're texting and driving and then they get their driver's license and you tell them not to text and drive, they probably are not going to listen to you. Yeah. Hypocrite.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a good Point right, there. right there role yeah. modeling we, we I feel like a common thread in all of our parenting podcasts has yeah. been about modeling right right no <laughs> phones yeah.
0: at the table don't
1: don't loathe yourself when you put your swimsuit on that yeah. was yeah. <laughs> the one last week so thank you so much Dr. Anna Radovic um, at UPMC Children's Hospital we this has been great and it's so it's we're like right in the middle of it right now so this was really helpful awesome.
2: with our with Thanks our
1: teenage girls thank you so yeah. much Thanks, Anna. It's not easy. I'm
2: kind of dreading it myself. Yeah. We're
1: we're at the other end of the spectrum. Oh wow.
2: I'm going to be yelling at myself about all the things I (laughs) (laughs) always it's always
1: a lot harder when you try to do it on your own. Exactly. uh, Thank you so much. Great work. (laughs) Okay. Cheers. So apparently Anne. Our social media or our kids' social media really needs to be monitored closely. Yes. And
0: that means the phones stay out of the bedrooms. Yep. We're doing that. Yep. Uh, we need to have the passwords and accounts. We're yep. doing that. Um, and we need to have the conversations. I like what she said about empowering the kids so that they're part of the conversation. It's not just a monologue yes. coming from us. Um, and and also to, you know, to tell them that they don't need to be at every event. They don't need to be at every party. Um you know, downtime is good, too. Yes. You know, family time is good. Yes. Um, board games are great, you know. Oh, we love board games. Karaoke,
1: oh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in their singing household, that probably works really well. Yes, yes. So, you know, um, again, I think we just have to model it. That's going to be... it. It's hard because you just get wrapped up in your day and then you're like, oh, this is not how I should be showing my kids how to act. Right, right. So, yes. Well, speaking of social media... We sure wouldn't be depressed to hear you shared uh, share our podcast with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I can't believe you went there. <laughs> I know the irony is not lost on us, but we'd really love for you to review us on iTunes and rate our podcast, please. Yes, and give us a call. Old-fashioned, right?
0: 331-704-0046 or email us at
1: apparentlypodcast at com. Yes. That does sound ironic. Guys. I'm saying that, but <laughs> yeah. it, I know we say it every po- we say we it every don't. at the end of every. We, we need people to you know get like involved. like us.
0: <laughs> we need <make> more likes.
1: <laughs> this is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner and I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently.
0: We make it look easy. We make it look.